0: No matter how dismal our circumstances have turned, it is never over as a Christian. faithful. Could you imagine if you had a subtitle before your name like Faithful Joe or Prayerful Julie or Humble Alex or Steadfast Lisa? You get the point. The subtitle would explain kind of who you are and what you're really known for by those around you. It's like in the movie Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. Remember, if you've seen that movie, the one woman that he ends up falling in love with there, her name is *Stands with a Fist. And they named her that because she took her fist and knocked out another woman who was teasing her from that day on nobody else messed with her. I wonder why. But that's why some people get nicknames. You know, for they're better describe that person with a nickname. Like we had this one girl on our Team that would go evangelize with me, and, and I called her the B 1 Bomber, you know, because she was like stealth and she would just get in and get out and share the gospel. And then, of course, we had another girl that I called Mashaka Khan because she was just such a warrior and serving the Lord. So I would nickname people based on, you know, kind of a trait in their life. Well, that's what we're doing here today. Uh, you know, we're going to nickname this this person that we're going to look at here tonight. His name is Thomas, and we're going to nickname him Faithful Thomas. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, who the heck is that in the Bible? Because the only Thomas I know is Doubting Thomas in the Bible. Well, this might come as a surprise and possibly even a shock to some of you, but this Thomas is is the same guy that's been tagged as Doubting Thomas. For he wasn't so much of a doubter as he was a skeptic. He was a man who had questions, so he asked them. Nothing wrong with having questions. If you don't ever question something, how are you going to know the answer to it? Thomas, his name actually means, in the Greek, it means twin. Now, some have questioned and even speculated on just who his twin was, but we're simply not told. Yet, in spite of that, I believe that Thomas had kind of a twin personality, you could say. Why is that? Because at times he was a man of great faith, while at other times, well, he was a skeptic, and he was filled with questions and and even doubt at times. Yet, is Thomas any different than really you and me? For there are many times that we lack wisdom, right? Or we find ourselves filled with even doubt. So why would Thomas have to suffer or literally be scrutinized in a negative manner for doing something that maybe all of us have done at some point? Maybe it's because all of his failures are clearly spelled out for us in the Bible, you know, Uh, and all I can say is this. It's a good thing that someone didn't write all my failures in some book. It'd be a pretty fat book, I think, if that was to happen. But who knows what I would be tagged as if someone seen all my failures in my life, you know, Dr. Failure failed again. I mean, who knows? But let's think happy thoughts here. Getting back to Thomas, let's look at his life from what's been recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, There are two thoughts that arise, uh, one of faith and one of doubt when it comes to Thomas. But just what exactly is the difference between faith and doubt? One described it this way, quote, a man of doubt sees difficulty in every opportunity, opposed to a man of faith who sees an opportunity in every difficulty, end quote. I guess that would kind of describe the difference between an optimist and a pessimist, I guess. Yes, faith sees the best in spite of any circumstances, while doubt only sees the worst, Faith finds the positive in the negative, while doubt can only see the negative in every positive. We've seen people like that, right? It's like, yeah, I can't believe it. It's like, what? Well, you know, someone gave me a car, and it's not the color I like. Uh, someone gave you a car? <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's just how some people are, though. But let me give you some examples of great faith. See, now, if you had great faith you could find yourself falling off a cliff. And by faith, you could say, hey, I'm gonna be in heaven soon, okay? That's great faith. Or maybe you girls get dumped by your boyfriend. By faith, you could just believe that God's gonna provide maybe the rock's twin brother for you. I mean, you know, Who knows, as long as he's a Christian, you know? At the same time, if you're a person who's always filled with doubt, then when others doubt your opinion, you're the first one to agree with them. Yeah, you're right. My opinion doesn't matter. That was a stupid idea. If you're always filled with doubt, you know, you could think that maybe Porky Pig could share his faith better than you could. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, if you're always filled with doubt, you never try to make new friends. Why? Because they wouldn't like you anyway. See, that's always being filled with doubt. But on a serious note, Thomas was just like you and me. He was a man of like passions. So what can we glean? What can we learn from this man who was kind of twin minded like we are? This man who at times was a skeptic, you know, this man who doubted at times. So let's look at our first point as Thomas responded, emotionally. Yet first, we need to get just a little background information for this one here. Now, Jesus' his public ministry was quickly coming to an end. And twice in John chapter 10, the previous chapter to what we're going to look at here tonight, the religious leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. But he was able to elude their grasp He escaped their traps because it wasn't yet his time. That's when the unexpected and an urgent message came just for Jesus. And what was the message? Lazarus, your dear friend, the person that you love, he's really sick. And his sisters sent a message to you that could you please come. So Jesus gets the message The messengers go back, and I'm sure they told Mary and Martha, we found Jesus, and we gave him the message. So they're expecting Jesus is going to roll in at any minute, but he doesn't. And even though Jesus loved Lazarus, and he would hang out at their house, he would spend time with them, you know, we're told that Jesus did not immediately go to his friend. In fact, he waited several days, And when he finally arrived, lo and behold, Lazarus not only died of whatever ailment he had, but he had been dead for four days. Meaning he died, they buried him, and he's been in the grave for four days. Now, let's just say he died and it took him a couple days to get ready to bury him. Okay, whatever. It's been days since he's died. And his sister Martha came up to the Lord and said, well, Lord, like, we know you got the message because the people that gave you the message came back and told us they gave you the message. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. It was like a nice way of saying, in short, you know, Jesus, you really dropped the ball here. We, we know that you love Lazarus. Why didn't you come earlier? We sent for you when he was still alive. But now, obviously, he's been buried for four days. It's too late. I wonder, have you ever felt like that before? Lord, help me. I'm at the end of my rope, like right now. Something has to happen, like right this second. There's no more time, and there's no way out for me. See, understand, Martha was looking for Jesus to come and heal her brother before he died, obviously. That's what she was looking for. Yet Jesus was insisting on something so much bigger than what Martha was thinking. Something that nobody else could have ever expected, or why would they even expect this? He was insisting on a resurrection from the dead, was what Jesus was banking on. And he would literally raise Lazarus from the the grave, a man that had been dead for four days. Now, obviously, this was mind-boggling, to say the least. Imagine your loved one passes away on Sunday. You have a funeral on Monday. Then on Friday, Jesus rolls into town and raises him from the dead out of the tomb. Okay, that's pretty crazy. I wonder how many times God desires to do something completely outrageous. I mean, got to admit, that was outrageous, right? I mean, that's pretty big. On a scale from 1 to 10, uh, that's a 25. Okay, that's a big thing but I wonder how many times we're going through circumstances, issues, stuff, just stuff that gets piled on us in this world, and God wants to do the outrageous in your life. Working some kind of a miracle, moving in someone's heart, changing our current circumstances, yet right when he starts to unfold his miraculous plan, we intervene. We get right in God's way. We take charge of the situation. Like maybe you have some unexpected emergency expense come up. And all of a sudden, oh no, you owe 500 bucks. You owe $5,000, whatever the case is. $2,300, some unexpected something comes up. The transmission blows out in your car, whatever. You got some big expense that comes up out of nowhere. You weren't anticipating it. You didn't have the money to pay for it. And so like, what are you going to do? and you 're like oh god I'm, I'm sinking in quicksand here i don 't know what to do. Do you rush out and take out a loan? Do you borrow the money from some family member or some friend? Do you just pull out the credit card i don 't know how i 'm going to pay this back. Just take it on the credit card i don't know what i'm going to do i'm going to be paying twenty four percent interest for the rest of my life. You know what do you do in that situation? Do you wait upon the Lord or do you Seek your own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Do you seek your own means of paying that bill instead of God and seeking his provision? Because the Bible says that he can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Know this, no matter how bleak our outlook may appear, no matter how dismal our circumstances have turned, no matter how horrible our plight might be, It is never over as a Christian, ever. No matter how big of a mess that we've made in whatever situation. We must be patient. For many times, the circumstances of today have been caused by possibly several months or years of bad decision making and wrong choices that were in charge of those bad choices. And that's what's caused possibly our present turmoil yes we don't always come out of bad situations overnight you have to remember that we're praying God get me out of this bad situation well maybe you got yourself into that bad situation over several years and we're like oh God deliver me like tomorrow night at this same time please okay God doesn't work like that Sometimes he does. Like, I don't want to say God, God can do anything he wants to do. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for four days. Okay, so God can do whatever he wants, but usually God many times will not just bail us out instantly. Why? Because God desires for us to learn a lesson in every trial that we have. God doesn't want us to turn around and do the same thing again. So what happens if all of a sudden someone just comes in, Oh, I'm so sorry you got in credit card debt. Let me just write a check for that and pay that off for you. Maybe you have a parent that comes in. Oh, well, let's get rid of that. It's like, what did you learn? You learn nothing because someone bailed you out too quickly. It's just a matter of time you do it again. Same thing again, because you didn't learn anything. So that's why God says, no, I'm not going to bail you out too quickly on this because you're not going to learn the lesson. Now, when you're like me, and I got a massive credit card debt and all of this stuff years ago in my marriage, it's like all of a sudden there was no one there to bail me out. I didn't have any rich relatives. Nobody gave me money. I didn't win the lottery, okay? And I was like, I... Just had to chip away and pay that thing off. And how did I do that? Number one, tear up the credit card. And I'm taking my lunch to work every day, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, okay? So we did that for three and a half years to get out of credit card debt. Now, because we started not spending more money than we made, it's like all of a sudden, what am I doing? We're buying clothes for our kids at thrift stores, clothes, clothes for us at thrift stores, all of these things because we cannot spend any money until we pay this debt off. Well, once we lived like that for three and a half years, what was the thing in my head? Don't ever get in debt again. So it's been over 30 years since I've ever paid one penny in interest on a credit card. I still use credit cards, but I only pay it off at the end of the month. If I can't pay it off at the end of the month, I don't put it on the credit card. I only use it for convenience sake. Okay, so so it's like I haven't paid interest for over 30 years. If we buy something for the house, we pay cash for it or we don't buy it. New refrigerator, cash. New couch, cash. Cash. You know, and important things like wheels and tires in your car, cash. I mean, you know, it's like, but you know, it's all those things. Like if we can't pay cash, we don't buy it. So it's like, see, but how did I learn that? I learned it by the hard way of doing it all wrong. And then we learned the right way. So see, God wants to teach us lessons so we don't be repeat offenders of the same thing. So, you know, when we make... Bad financial decisions and everything, God is going to hold back finances from us until we learn. Another problem with many people is they'll say, Well, you know, Pastor, we can't afford to tithe. Oh, okay. My response is, You can't afford not to tithe. Now, listen, this isn't a pitch for you to give more money to the church. You only give what you want to give, okay? But I'm just telling you, God has commanded his children to give 10%. That's what the word tithe means. It's a Hebrew word that means a tenth. Okay, so God says, you bring the tithe into the storehouse. That's where you're being fed. Now you're thinking, give 10% of my income to the Lord? It's like, when I first heard that, it's like, that's not going to happen. Okay, I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just telling you, I'm not up here trying to have you give more money to the church, but I'm saying when you start doing what God says, that's when he starts opening up and he starts giving you more because you're obeying him. And a good proof text for that, because this is when someone first told me this, I'm like, "That, that can't be true. So I looked it up for myself. And this is one of the main verses that I read 42 years ago when me and my wife got married. And I went to my wife and I said, you know, I actually been searching out this whole thing on tithing. I think we're supposed to give 10%. And I shared this verse with my wife and my wife looked at me as newlyweds and we said, we're going to do this and we have done that our entire life. It says, will a man or a woman rob God? You're thinking, well, I'm thinking to rob God. But God says, no, you are robbing me. What do you mean I'm robbing you? I don't, I didn't go up and pickpocket God. You know, it's like he says, no, you're robbing me because you have robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. He says, you're cursed with a curse For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe. What's the whole tithe? It's not 5%, 2%, 1%. It's the whole tithe. It's the whole 10% into the storehouse. That's where you're being fed. So there may be food in my house. And God says, you test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing until it overflows. And then he goes on and gives a, I know, amen. Then he gives another verse, the next verse down, he says, And I will also rebuke the devourer in your life. What is that worth? God is going to rebuke the devourer who wants to consume you. It's just amazing. And then the second place that I see, so one is finances that I see people fall the same pit over and over again. The other is relationships. You know, every godly person wants a godly relationship. But then they start in a relationship and then all of a sudden it kind of gets off track. Why? Because they start getting sexually active in that relationship. And then they wonder why God isn't blessing that relationship. So here you have two people that claim to know Christ, but yet they've fallen sexually when God says no. Because see, God never said no to sex. He just said no to a sexual relationship before a marriage covenant. So God created this relationship to have for two people that are committed to each other for life. So he says, when you come into that covenant relationship, you get married. That's right, the piece of paper matters to God, okay? And you come into that covenant relationship, he says, oh, now I want to bless this sexual relationship with both of you. But if you are two believers and then all of a sudden you start fooling around before that, then God's going to pull this blessing from your relationship. That's why every person that comes to me and says, oh, we want to be married. Okay, that's great. Let me ask you a question. Are you both abstaining from sexual activity or are you both getting intimate with each other? And they're just kind of like, uh, wasn't expecting that question. And you can usually tell by just their look on their face as they look at each other. How did he know? Because if you want to get married in a church, you have to do it God's way. Know this, when we are willing to learn obedience from the Lord, then I can assure you of this, as we put our entire heart, mind, trust, and spirit into his hands, that's when somehow, way, God is going to deliver you from whatever you're pit in, where some of you might have fallen. God will always deliver. If you failed as a Christian and you're digging a hole in sin, well, Stop digging. Repent, just stop and start over again. So getting back, how does this relate getting back to Thomas? Well, Jesus made the decision to go to Lazarus that would mean having to go back to Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. That was right in the epicenter of the hornet's nest of where Jesus had just escaped from, from chapter 10. The religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. Jesus had an unspoken death warrant on his life. So let's see how far faithful thomas so let's see what he had to say to the other disciples who were scared and didn't want to return to bethany where this man lazarus was sick who jesus said was already dead see so they said well if he's just sleeping no jesus said no he's dead well the other disciples are like well let's not go back there that's a hornet's nest we could all be killed okay but this is what thomas said emotionally John chapter 11, picking up in verse 16 says, therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go with Jesus so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he, this is Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. So it was Thomas that came and told the other disciples, like, look, if Jesus is going in, We're going with them, and that's it. Notice how faithful Thomas just stepped up in what could have been a storm of protest from the other disciples. I'm sure they all saw the faces of the angry mob in Jerusalem that they had just got out of. They seen the stones in their hands that they wanted to stone Jesus with just the week earlier. There was nothing but silence from all the other disciples. Yet Thomas steps up to the plate, and with total faith, from the soul of his heart, he said, let's go. Let's go with Jesus. We go where he goes, and if we die, then we die. See, at this point, in Thomas' mind, if they went back into the vicinity of Jerusalem, the religious leaders would kill them. Remember, traveling with Jesus was not a covert operation. There was no like, hey, let's sneak in and sneak out. I mean, once people saw that Jesus was around, oh my goodness, I mean, word would spread fast. Why? Because he was healing everybody in sight. And if people saw that Jesus was back, it's like, oh, the word got out quick. Yes, God used Thomas, this young man of faith, to encourage the other disciples. And they were able to witness one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus ever performed. Lazarus, a man, dead, in the tomb for four days, raised again.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA one word to 77977.